about last week. What was that? All right, we'll just clear it up uh, later. Uh, anyway, a couple of things about last week that I need to address. At the end of the message, I showed you that clip of the lemmings. You remember the lemmings that were taking a nosedive off the cliff? And I was explaining that, you know, they, they do this. It's like a mass suicide. And it was disturbing to some of you. Uh, Amanda Dunn, as she was watching that, got on her phone. She couldn't believe that this was real. She looks it up, sees that, in fact, it is. It's like a population control that they do this. But she uncovered something else that I feel obligated to address with you. Um, the footage that I showed you was from a Disney show in the 1950s. You know, those uh, like they would used to do like nature shows and things like that. Um, it was called White Wilderness. And apparently it was a big controversy because in order to get good footage of the lemmings jumping off the cliff, they just shoved them off the cliff. So um, <laughs> as you were watching that, you can just imagine a guy in a Mickey costume with a big push broom just shoving them off the cliff. So I feel obligated to tell you that inadvertently I showed you a crime last week and I didn't intend to do that, all right? So I apologize that that's the way the message ended. The second thing that I want to point out, and this is where we'll take off today, I described life as a river and said, don't think of life as a lake where you just sit there and bob along and do your own thing. There are the currents of culture and they're sweeping you in a certain direction. And the direction that it's taking you is not a direction that you want to go, which is why we have to actively resist drift. You're remembering this, yes? Okay, and we're pushing against that. All right, so this is a warning to all of us. Obviously it is. If the current is carrying us in one direction, we want to be opposing it. That's a warning to us not to pull our feet up and not to allow drift to take place. That's kind of what we talked about last week. But I also want to point out to you as we start pivoting now to where I want to be this year, which is our mission in making disciples of Jesus, it's more than just a warning to us. What it should be demonstrating to us and showing us is there are a lot of people that are zipping right past us, that are more than content to follow the flow of culture. In fact, that's where the vast majority of people are. There are very few, the, the road is narrow, very few who find the way, who are pushing against drift. And there are a ton of people that are floating by us and looking at us. And that's what I want us to focus on. How do we persuade them to turn around and join us, to oppose the drift that is pulling them towards destruction? They are going in a way that seems right to them. And you encounter a world, they are absolutely confident that what they believe and where they're going and who they are and the truth that they believe in, that that is completely and utterly right. It's the right way to go. And what you and I are doing and what we are saying to them, it seems backwards, it seems foolish. If you got your Bibles, flip open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is Paul talking to a church that is dealing with a culture that is much like ours. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I'm going to pick it up with verse 18. Paul is addressing this very reality to the Christians in Corinth. And he says this, verse 18. For the message of the cross, which is the message that we preach, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. To people who believe that they know the right way, when you and I come along and start preaching the idea of a crucified Messiah that we all have to submit our lives to, that's utter foolishness to them. It makes no sense to them whatsoever. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Remember these people that we're talking about, the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Okay, those verses. Paul is saying that the gospel that you and I preach, 
all, it, it turns all of our expectations as human beings, just completely inverts them, turns them on their head. The last thing you would expect, God did not send us a Messiah that fit the world's expectations. You know that. The idea of a conquering Messiah, and this guy sacrificed his life on a cross, was a servant to all people. His work comes as a genuine surprise to all of those people that Paul was just talking about. To the intelligent, it doesn't make sense. To the wise man, to the scholar, to the philosopher, who has all of their visions and wisdom and ideas of what these things should mean and what a Messiah would be, this message makes no sense to them. Do you remember the Christmas play that we watched the youth do and Camp Miller, little, little redheaded freak, he got up here and he sang that song, I mean that with all due, where is camp? Is camp here? Yep, all right, camp. Um, he sang that song that, uh, and you remember it was asking why me and why here and why all this. Do you remember the last line of the chorus? This is such a strange way to save the world. That's it. That's what man thinks. Why this? And why would you do it that way? It's foolishness to those that are perishing. By worldly standards, a crucified savior is folly and it's weakness. They don't want to follow someone who sacrifices their life. It doesn't make sense. But look how Paul describes it. Skip down to verse 24. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul says that this wisdom of God, it's wise and it's powerful. The very thing that the world believes is foolishness and weakness, Paul is saying it's the exact opposite of that. And look at verse 25 and see what it means for our mission. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So everything that man comes up with for himself is utter foolishness in the eyes of God. How do we communicate that to people who are so confident in what it is that they believe? Paul says that man's normal ways of addressing and assessing wisdom and power, they're going to deceive us. They're going to make us think that something is powerful when in fact it's not. It's the complete opposite of what you would believe. Is the work of God powerful? Paul says, yes, absolutely. But this power will only be seen as foolishness and weakness in the eyes of the world. Now, some context helps here to know who Paul is writing to. He's writing to Christians in Corinth. And this is actually good for us because I would say that the, the culture of Corinth is very much like the culture of 2023 United States of America. The Corinthians were living amongst, here's the spirit of the age, it was hedonism. Do we know what hedonism is? You ever heard the phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? You ever heard this phrase? Okay, that's what a hedonist is. A hedonist is not concerned about tomorrow. A hedonist's main goal, they wake up every day, they want to maximize pleasure that day, and they want to avoid suffering. And if their previous decisions to lead to, to great satisfaction and pleasure have led to suffering today, then their objective is not to learn from that lesson, but it's to figure out, well, how do I maximize the most amount of pleasure I can get despite my circumstances that I've led myself to with my previous decisions? That's all they think about is what I can do today to maximize my pleasure. That's the way a lot of people live. The focus of the hedonist is on the moment, right now. Little thought, little concern given to tomorrow or the day after or the day after that. My question is, does that not sound like everyone that we're surrounded by today? Living for this moment, whether it's financially, I don't worry about the debt that we're racking up, the trillions of dollars of debt in our society, who cares? Live for the moment. I don't care that I'm taking out extra credit cards. And it's not just finances, people that make decisions uh, sexually. I'm going to worry about right now. No matter the consequences that are going to come later, what I'm worried about is the moment right now. 
This is the society and the culture that we live in. Now, flip a page in Corinthians over to chapter 3, and you're going to see Paul continuing on with this very theme. He does it in all these verses, verse 18. So let's go down to chapter 3, verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. I got to stop there. If you are of the belief that you have become wise in the eyes of the world, Paul is saying that should be a big red flag. If society is embracing you as a wise one and someone that they look to, that's a big red flag and it would be better for you to quickly become a fool in their eyes. Because what they believe is wisdom, you don't want to have that. Because what is it? It's foolishness. If they believe you to be a fool, that is when you know that you're in the right spot. All right, back to what he was saying here. If anyone thinks he's wise, he should become a fool. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. Okay, this is what Paul is addressing over and over. Why do you think men scoff when we tell them you ought to trust the Bible? When we say that to man, why is it that they scoff? I'm going to try a couple analogies here because I love analogies. And sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. So you can tell me later if they did. Let me tell you what's going to happen at the end of this week. At the end of this week, Danielle Eikenberry and I are going to, for the seventh, eighth year, I don't know. It's all a blur. We're going to lead 50 seniors from the class of, of 2023 to Walt Disney World for their senior class trip. Okay? It's going to be a lot of fun. So we are going to be going down there on Friday. And here's what's going to happen. The first day, we're going to go into the Magic Kingdom. Now, there's going to be a handful of those kids that have been to the Magic Kingdom before, this giant amusement park, this giant theme park. There's also going to be the vast majority of them that have never been there. But here's what's... They're going to be so excited that these people are going to power through the gates and they're going to run into this park and there's going to be all of this stuff around them and they're going to start running to things that they want to do. But what they will have walked right past is the giant kiosk that has all of the park maps right in front of them. They don't have time for a park map. There's all of this stuff that they want to do and they want to accomplish in that day. So they'll go right past it and they'll do whatever they want to do. Only a fool is going to stop and pick up the map because there's so much to entertain me in front of my face. But what do you know? about the park map if you've been there you know that the park map shows you shortcuts how to avoid a certain dead ends like you don't want to take a left at Ariel's Grotto you end up backstage murdered by a talking crab you don't want that so you got to watch the dead ends and how you, you don't want to be at Big Thunder Mountain and have your next ride be Space Mountain you're going to lose a lot of time walking all the way and then the deadliest of all and some of you have experienced this you think you got time to make it to your next attraction and then you get caught behind a parade those stupid parades that take up all these and it goes on and on and on and you got all the high school girls dressed up like princesses and they're waving you're like I can't believe I'm going to miss this all these kids are going to avoid the map why because I got all this stuff that I want to do and consequently, they're going to hurt themselves in the process. All right, we trust the Bible to get us to where we want to go. That's what we are saying to mankind. But mankind is too obsessed with the moment to care about what it's saying is coming in the future. All right, how about this one? Uh, by the way, this is why scripture says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. As I'm walking this path, it's showing me the direction I want to go. It's showing me the dead ends that I don't want to take. It's showing me the freeways that I want to be on. It's showing me the shortcuts and all of these various things. But man isn't interested. Or how about this? If the map doesn't work for you, consider the Bible, uh, the truths of God as a grammar book. It's teaching us a different language than the world speaks. 
The world is speaking one language, we're speaking a completely different one, and we're studying scripture to learn it. Have you ever paused to consider how awful it would be to try to actually learn the English language? I mean, most of us probably don't realize it, but English has to be one of the most difficult languages to actually learn, if you've already learned it, because we got all these stupid phrases, and the words are formed in weird ways. Have you ever seen, just let's take a look at this. Can we roll this video, please? So this word is our... On and on and on, and I'm just going to cut it off there. But you get the point. This is what I'm saying. Most of us pick up on English as we go. As we grow and we hear people use phrases, we just start mimicking that. But if that's all we do and we never actually learn the language, it leads to things like this. People saying words like strength. Well, he's got the strength to do it. we got to have a lot of strength. That is not a word. And if that's what you say, you got to stop it, man. The word is strength. You need strength. And then this one kills me. Oh, we're just going to keep moving forward. No. There is an R for a reason. The word is forward. It is not forward. And then the one that just, look, sin bothers me, and I preach against sin, but this next thing, woo, we're dialing it up a notch with this. You write to me, you're really cool. You're really cool what? You're a really cool dog. You're a really cool house. You're a really cool car. Because that is a possessive. So you need an object at the end of that. Did you mean you are really cool? Then put an apostrophe and an R-E, for heaven's sake. Learn the language. All right. I get more amens for rules of grammar than I get the truth of God's word. Anyway. So pick your preferred analogy. I don't care whether you want to go with the map or the grammar book, and I want you to make the parallel here. Why spend a life studying a map or a grammar book? If you're one of those people that's just floating downstream and content with your circumstances, studying a map is not anything that's going to interest you. And studying a grammar book is boring to you. So why do we do it? Why do we not find it as, as annoying? Because we know where it leads. That's the reason. I want you to grasp this. The map that we learn isn't the exciting thing. The exciting thing is to where it leads us, right? And the grammar we learn isn't the thrill. The thrill is being able to write a novel or being able to give an elaborate speech. It's where it gets us. That's why we do that. And the truth that we learn in the scriptures, that's not the excitement and the thrill. It gets us to the excitement and the thrill. And what is that? The excitement and the thrill is knowing and experiencing our creator. That's what it's all about. That's why we do this. That's why we're, we need to be expressing to mankind. You have this idea that this is about studying a bunch of rules so I make sure I do the right thing. No. This is about learning more and becoming in tune with and knowing and experiencing my creator, which is unbelievably real and unbelievably exciting. Something that you should want. Not because I'm telling you, oh, you got to follow these rules. No. You get to experience the one who knows you better than you know yourself. 
How can you not want that? You see, the map isn't the point. When you go to Disney World, the map isn't the point. You don't have a lot of fun looking at a map. It's the Disney ride that it takes you to. And the grammar isn't the point. It's the speech or the novel that you're able to give or write. And the truth, of it isn't the point. He is the point. That's what we're in this for. Now, that is all foolishness to the world. And why? Because they are not thinking about the future. They're thinking about right now. And that's why our message needs to be about the here and the now. Experiencing God doesn't just happen when you cross over the Jordan and enter the heavenly pearly gates, right? We experience him now. Life has come more abundant and full now in Christ. That's our message. The spirit of this age that, th that we're surrounded by and all of the people that we're trying to disciple that they're surrounded by, it tells them, oh no, you can make your own map. You're going to make up your own language. But to the world, that's the thrill. And it kind of sounds thrilling, right? What an adventure. Every day I get to make my own rules. And I get to make my own truth. I can resist authority. I can follow my heart wherever it leads. I will not conform to anyone or anything. I will chart my own course. I'll be the captain of my own destiny. Isn't that awesome? It sounds adventurous. It sounds thrilling. Yes, I always love this. I'm not going to conform to anything. You can conform to your rules, but I refuse to conform. I'll chart my own path. Right. Do you realize that's what everybody does and everybody says? Have you ever seen the irony in that? When people say, I'm not going to conform. And you see this on college campuses a lot. I'm going to rebel and I'm not going to conform. Well, what is everybody else on that campus doing? Not conforming. Everybody's conforming to not conforming. That's one of the most unbelievable things. It's conformity to non-conformity. You're making your rules. I'm making my rules. We have all conformed to the spirit of the age, which preaches non-conformity. It's this phrase right here. I'm a non-conformist making my own path just like everybody else. That's the very height of conformity. This is a perfect irony that only God could. When I read these words about he confounds the wisdom of the wise, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This is what I think of. Stop and think this through. The most rebellious people on earth, the ones who stand out from the crowd, it's not the people floating downstream like everybody else charting their own path to destruction. The people that stand out and are different are those who will willfully bend and break and shape and mold and conform their heart and their soul and their mind and their spirit to a truth that is bigger than all of us. Those are the rebels. I know you don't think of yourself as a rebel if you're sticking to this, but you are. In this culture, honoring your marriage vows is rebellious. In this culture, seeking peace instead of constant controversy and fighting that's rebellious. If, you, if you're following these teachings, you are different. You're pushing against the drift that everybody else is taking. But the world's way is just so much more exciting, right? Each day you get to wake up and make your own truth. That sounds great. You do what you want and when you want and how you want to do it. That's what the world preaches. And it does sound thrilling. But you and I know better. At least we should know better. We know what this map is promising us. Yes? What is it promising us is a much greater ride than where your blind wandering is going to get you, stuck behind a parade somewhere. Mine is going to take me to where I want to go. It results in a much grander speech than all of your incoherent babbling about strength and forward is going to do for you. It's going to get me to where I want to go. But like we said, the problem that we face as Christians is this isn't going to sell people because they don't think down the road. They don't think about tomorrow. They're eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They still believe 
And this is where I want to spend the balance of our time because this is a lie from the pit of hell. And I want to focus on this. They believe, well, but my journey now, maybe you're right. Maybe in the end, your way will have been better and it'll get you where you want to go and I'll suffer. But right now, I'm going to enjoy my life and it's going to be a lot more fun than the life that you're living that is confined to this book. I'm going to be free and live the way I want to and it is more unpredictable and it is more fun. Can I tell you that I think we as Christians have agreed with that? Like, I think a lot of us take the approach of, well, that's true, but we're making the sacrifice now because we know it'll pay off in the end. So we kind of give in to the world and make them believe that what they're saying is right, that their, their journey right now is more unpredictable and more fun than a journey that follows the truth and the map of God's word. We actually give in. I think we've acquiesced on this. I think we've given too much ground because that statement that their journey is so much more fun than ours is 100% wrong. It could not be more wrong than what it is, but we've totally lost the plot. We are totally incapable of illustrating that to people. I've got a simple question that I, to me it makes sense, and I hope it'll make sense. I want to ask everyone in the world this question, because to me it changes everything. It totally turns what they believe, and honestly what so many of us believe, on its head. You answer, and I don't want you to actually say this out loud, I want you to think. What is it that's more thrilling? I'm going to give you two options. Which one of these two is more thrilling, invention or discovery? Now stop and think about that for a second. Which one of those two things is more thrilling and more exciting? Don't answer out loud, think. And now we're going to walk through this together, okay? Here we go. Invention, super cool. But what is invention? Well, let's take maybe one of the world's greatest inventors, Thomas Edison. You know what Thomas Edison did with his whole life? He spent it in his lab in Menlo Park, New Jersey. He was the wizard of Menlo Park. And he will sit in that lab. There will be days, he says, that he'll, he'll stay awake for 36, 37, 38 hours. And what is he doing? Over and over, he's doing the same thing. He records that he tried a thousand different objects to be a filament in a light bulb. Beard hair, horse hair, all kinds of stuff. And he put an electrical charge to it and see if it would burn for a long period of time. And finally, carbonized paper did it. And he was crazy excited about it. And he went out into the streets and said, everybody's carbonized paper. And everybody, oh, it's great, Tom. And then they move on along down the road. Every day in there trying to come up with something and trying to invent something. Okay, so that's that. Now I want you to compare that to the European explorers. The folks who discovered the new world. And I know they were native, but to their world, this was the new world. I imagine their stories. That's, let's do it that way. You have the option of sitting down and listening to the stories of either Thomas Edison or Ponce de Leon. And you got Thomas Edison saying, yeah, it's crazy. This one day I fell asleep and my head fell into the wax of the candle and it like got this little cone coming off the side of it. And you're sitting, oh, that's, that's exciting, Tom. That's great. And then you got Ponce de Leon who says, okay, so we pull up to this island and we get off and all of a sudden there are these natives that are coming at us with, with spears. So I chuck Frank towards him and Frank gets speared. And then I get back on the boat and we're and then all of a sudden we thought we saw a sea monster so we adjusted course and this huge storm blew up and three guys go overboard you want to hear the end of that story right this isn't difficult at all to realize what is more I'm not saying invention is bad but who is it that had the greater invention is it sorry the greater adventure is it the one that lived within the confines of, of what he was trying to create within his own walls day after day trying to come up with the same stuff that fit his own conception of reality or the ones who were exploring what had already been created to me this isn't even a question it's not even close invention is tied down to our limitations but discovery is tied to nothing it's limitless 
Absolutely limitless. The, 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 we have this phrase. You hear it all the time. People say it all the time. Well, I'm speaking my truth. This is my truth. And you may not understand it, but this is my truth. And you have your truth. Well, he's just speaking his truth. Yes. Well, here's the problem. If there is a my truth and a your truth, then there is no such thing as the truth. Right? You get that, right? If there is a the truth, then you don't get your own and I don't get my own. It's just what it is. So the very presence of the idea that there is my truth and your truth means that there absolutely is no truth, which means we shouldn't be using the word truth there. What are we actually saying? What society, this is, again, Satan doing his thing. We're using the word truth as synonymous with perspective or experience. When you hear someone say, well, I'm just speaking my truth, understand what they're saying is, I'm just speaking my perspective here. I'm just speaking my perspective. He's just speaking his experience. And I would suggest to you what a sad, boring, limited view of the world that is. You're going to limit it to your own personal understanding. You handcuff yourself to the confines of your own beliefs and your own experiences and your own ideas. And you're never going to leave those walls. You're staying right there. And I'll tell you, this infects churches as well. The idea that our faith is somehow about self-discovery. It's not about you. Get out of your own head. you got to move beyond that. Move beyond your selfish perspectives and search for something that is greater than you. That's the message I want to share with the world. You are staying in your room like Thomas Edison trying to invent something. And there is a world of discovery out there that is so much bigger than what you can understand. And it's our privilege to get to discover it. Be daring enough to get out from behind your inventor desk and go and explore. Or how about this? I'm going to try one more analogy because I feel like these are just flopping all over the place. This last week, loved it. Unseasonably warm in February, yes? 60 degree day, I went out without a coat. There was the promise that maybe there'd be storms that night and I loved the rain and the lightning at night. It was great. Now, I am also aware that there are some of you freaks that actually enjoy snow and you like the colder weather and all of that. I've used freaks twice today. I think I need to get, anyway, okay, so you like the colder weather. I don't get it, but you do. We have our preferences. Some people like sun. Other people like it when it's overcast. Other people like a mix. Well, I like the sun to be out, but the clouds to roll in front of it every so often. Every single one of us has our preference of weather. Yes, you're following me. Every morning when you get up, what do you check? I'm going to check what? The weather. You're hearing what you're saying? Not, I'm going to check my weather today. You're going to check the weather. That's what you're going to check. We've all got preferences, but sometimes the weather doesn't adapt to whatever your preference happens to be. You and I have to adapt to the weather. And it's sometimes an adventure, especially in Indiana, because it'll be one thing in the morning, and then by afternoon it's dropped 50 degrees, and all of a sudden it's a blizzard warning, right? We under do you know why our school calendars are like they are? Uh, some of you do. Why did we get June, July, and August for a long time, and now it's just June and July? Why do we get those months off? Like, Because to me, it would make sense. You get the winter months off so you don't have to be in the road. That would make a lot more sense. You don't have to miss days of school. So why did they do it? Yep, planting season, right, and harvest seasons. That's why they had kids, so they could go and help on the farm and all that, back when kids did something. Okay, that was, that was the whole point of that. Okay, all right, good. <laughs> We realized I can't change the weather, so I have to adapt myself to the reality that surrounds me. 
And sometimes it's more exciting. Look, today it's not quite like it used to be, and why? Well, today in 2023, we have insulated homes, and we have central air, and we have gas heat, and for our sports, we have retractable domes, so if it's a little bit chilly that day, we just move the roof over, and it's 72 degrees and completely comfortable. We have indoor malls, so you don't have to walk around in the rain as you're going to shop for stuff. You just do it all inside this building. In other words, follow me, the thermostat has allowed us to control our own personal climate. Last night I was with my in-laws, and my father-in-law likes the vehicle to be roughly 32 degrees. And my feet have turned into ice cubes, so I crank up in my own personal climate in the back, the heat to 80 degrees, and it's blowing forward, and pretty soon he's rolling down the window, hanging his tongue out like he's, I'm like, Steve, take your coat off if you're that hot. It's just, anyway, we all have our own personal climate, yes? All right, we get this. That's it. That's the difference. Make sure you follow me on this. That's what I'm calling the world to do. Be bold enough to step outside of your own personal climate-controlled office. You're all floating by me down this river in your own personal controlled universe that you've created for yourself where your truth is whatever you decide it to be that day. I'm daring you to try something bigger than that, more adventurous than that, where you don't get to make up your own weather. You have to be subject to the weather that exists don't settle for a reality that conforms to and coddles your own comfort. That's what the world is doing. Do something bigger than that. Stop adapting your truth to yourself and instead discover truth that you adapt yourself to. That's adventure. That's excitement. That's a thrilling life right there. Why would you ever want to limit yourself? Why stay within the confines of your own mind, your own foolish mind? Why not seek truths that aren't inventions of man's feeble mind? Do something bigger, just like the weather, just like any discovery that's out there. They're not always going to match your preferences. I get that. It's not the safe option. The safe option is to keep believing whatever you want to believe and adapting it to your times and your surroundings and changing your truth, even if it's completely contradictory to where you were the day before. That's the safe option, and I understand that. But I'm, I'm enticing you and saying there's a better life out there, a more exciting life out there, a more thrilling life out there, and the world says, well, can I trust it? I don't know if you... Um, ever read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis, uh, it came to my mind as I was thinking about that question that the world would ask, can I trust this not safe option? If you haven't read the story, you have four kids in there, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. They go through this wardrobe portal into this new world, this kingdom of Narnia. It's under the spell of the White Witch. Aslan the lion, who is the king over Narnia, is nowhere to be found. There's rumor that he is, quote, on the move, but it appears to them, the kids, that he's abandoned his kingdom to the white witch. So the four children set out. They try to explore this strange, somewhat frightening, very adventurous new country. It's locked under evil spell, and they come across a Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And those two are still loyal to Aslan. Now, this is making sense to those of you that have read the story. Those of you that haven't, you're probably, just stick with me. So Lucy and Susan start asking Mr. and Mrs. Beaver what Aslan is like. Is he, I'm just going to quote from the story now. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan a man? Said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, Aslan is a lion. The lion. The great lion. Oh, said Susan. I thought he was a man. I, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, said Mrs. Beaver. 
If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. That's my message to the world. It's not a safe option. It's not safe in the sense that what you want to believe is always going to be true. It's dangerous to your pride. It's dangerous to your self-confidence. It's dangerous to the, the whole universe that you set up for yourself with you on the throne. It's dangerous to all of that. But can you trust it? Yes, he is good. He is the king. Father God, I thank you for being the king overall. I thank you for being the one who laid the oceans where you put them and the mountains where you put them and our lives exactly where and when you place them. Father, we know that there is no greater adventure than to submit our will and our ways to your truth, to follow the path that you have laid out that leads us to the greatest glories that we can't even begin to imagine. Father, we see a world that is zipping right past us in this river, and sometimes we take the wrong approach. We try to tell them, yes, you can enjoy your life, or you know, you can suffer like us and then eventually get there. Father, help us to know better. Help us to realize the truth that the life we are experiencing is the, is the life of the greatest joys and the greatest thrills and the greatest excitement that we could ever want. And if we're lacking that, it's because we're trusting in our own strength. We're being fools too often. Help us to turn, to conform to your will and your way, and in that, find the secret of life and lead others in that same direction. Help us to trust it by remembering and knowing that you are good and you are the king. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. If you're ready to make that decision, now's the time. Don't wait. Don't wait another second, another day. If you want to transfer membership, now's the time. If you need prayer, roommate is back there. Make the decision that God has laid on your heart as we stand and as we sing.